Why don't you go back? I know you wouldn't hurt anymore than when you left. Then you would not have to be alone anymore. You only fool you. You say you're happy. not true and they know it too you're playing the Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I am a suntan Bill Bohr. We are both uh, in full post-summer, uh, What's I, I was going to say regalia, but we're not really no, we mode just, of being. We've been on vacation, and, uh, and we en- enjoyed the uh, ultraviolet rays destroying our skin, and, uh, and enjoyed being out there, and we're ready to jump into this fall. We were at... The Jersey Shore, and we moved in as the hurricane, which was Hurricane. It had a weird name. I forget the name of it. Hermaine. Hermaine. So, so Lindy, my wife, is very good at researching things, and she's just like on all these weather sites. She's like, "Babe, we're gonna be fine. It's blowing out, actually." And the weather looked good. So the woman who lives above where we were renting from was packing up and warning us. And right, I well, mean, you're gonna be forcefully evac. If you're forcefully evacuated. You know, you're going to regret it. And and Lindy said, well, is there a radio station or some sort of, you know, public announcements or thing I can follow? Oh, I go by Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing she's got an abnormal amount of meteorolo- meteorologist friends. Yeah, yeah, if that's your, if that's your. Yeah, because most shore towns have an email system, an emergency system. If she's a local, she knows that. Or, but Facebook, there we go. Facebook's where you should get your weather, your politics. It it's, does it all, really. It's and a one-stop shop that's right. of sorts. And you can take certain kind of you know insightful test on uh, who you were in a previous life or uh, where you should live in case Trump gets elected. Those kind of things are really helpful on Facebook. Yeah, I, it is really a... Did you see that actually they... A couple of weeks ago, maybe it was like a month and a half ago, they somebody released that like Facebook is... They're, they're shifting the algorithm so that sites like The Atlantic or The New Yorker or Time or Newsweek or whatever, they drop in your feed, even if they're sponsored things or whatever, and your friends are, and family and close associates get more priorities. So if there's anything, any doubt that the echo chamber, like they think, so they freighted it to the echo chamber. Right. So the silo is getting- The silo is getting higher and, and thicker. thinner. Or thinner. Well, thicker, I guess thicker- thinner. Well, it'd be more narrow. In other words, you're not you're getting less exposure beyond your you know close associates who think like you. I was thinking thicker in the sense of the walls separating you. Ah, there we go. Well, you know, either either metaphor works. If anybody has a preferred metaphor or wants to weigh in on a metaphor, for or those of you who own silos, maybe you could help us. What would be the best way to approach that? Yes, I grew up around silos, but I don't. I can't tell you much about them. West Virginia, uh, so, uh, South Central Pennsylvania. Right. I, I grew up. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was born in West Virginia, but grew up in in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. Well, 
coming off vacation, we thought we should do kind of just, and we've gotten actually more requests for this. We're just kind of, rather than any kind of piece of literature or idea, we're just going to kind of summarize, you know, the, the, you know, the week in review or weeks in review. Right, right. But Bill, before we get into certain things, there's two stories I just wanted to make sure no one misses in the shuffle. First, you know, the five second rule? Yes. Where if a piece of food drops on the floor, Mm -hmm. a professor, I think from Rutgers, I'll put it in the show notes, actually did a study Mm -hmm. on the five second rule and found it's not true. That actually bacteria can adhere to food in five seconds. And actually that the wetter or more moist the food, the higher percentage that the bacteria can cling. And actually watermelon is the most dangerous food with regard to if you drop it, oh, it's like a one second. That makes sense. Yeah. I had four sons, so we had the five day rule. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Well, so, you, so good, and, you missed some good stuff there laying on the floor after a while. Bill and I are currently uh, writing to the Templeton Foundation from New Persuasive Words to do a study on if a watch pot boils faster or not. <laughs> I mean, actually, these things are, you know, I mean, these kind of, uh, you know, truisms or phrases that you know they i guess they're now being studied it would depend if you're maybe from a distant star you know it depends on what distance you are from the pot i think would be the answer but so there are people yeah that's a fascinating i just wanted to see the proposal for that grant and also crazy eddie has died remember the crazy eddie is it a car it was uh like speakers and oh right the uh, sound stuff yeah crazy eddie's yes crazy eddie died Oh. Now the guy who was on the commercials was not Eddie, oh, okay. and apparently he was very successful. But then had some weird dealings with the IRS, fled to Israel, which I think has extradition. So I don't know why you would do that. But then I guess was had some trouble with the law because of that, and recently died. So you know, rest in peace, crazy. A lot of people had great deals, and for a lot of people that grew up. Uh, without on demand, and when you had to watch commercials <laughs> and reruns of Gilligan's yeah, Island, that, that's there was a, a lot of Crazy Eddie. Yeah. And, you know, there and you that, go. So there we go. That's worth Googling just to see the the experience of the Crazy Eddie. I just don't want us to miss the truly important things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I had missed both of those things. Well, you know, uh, it's, I'm here. I'm here. Whether we are recording on Monday, September 12th, yesterday was the 15th anniversary of 9-11. Um, and... It seemed to be uh, respectfully, um, you know, and proportionally remembered. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, uh, again, I, I like football. I'm a football fan, but there is still, I don't know, the whole, um, the whole kind of pretend football world that you know we celebrate America and then we watch people, you know, cut their years, <laughs> their lives short, hitting each other. But, uh, yeah, I thought there was some moving, you know, and, and um, you know, I, I know some folks who, who lost loved ones there and uh, were part of the remembrance in, in New York. And so, you know, one of the things, uh, and, and I purposely, you know, there, you know, it's, there's this kind of voyeurism that comes out of these things. You know, you, anywhere you went online, you had an opportunity to see, you know, new tape and, you know, just the different angles of the tragedy and people suffering. I mean, I do think there were, you know, again, stories of heroism and uh, and how people's lives have gone on and, and how people have tried to honor the memory of their loved ones. And I think all that's good. I mean, someone said it's like the, 
single greatest day of public service now. That means a lot of people doing that. So on one level, that's 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 a that's a part of the um, I guess redemptive legacy of the tragedy. But um, one can't help but remember, you know, those days we came together as a country, and just how desperately divided we are now. And I think part of that division is the aftermath of 9/11 as well. Yeah, it's interesting because. You know, Nietzsche says the sacred is in the culture is the only thing we all agree that no one is allowed to laugh at. And in the midst of all the division, we have, like that's one of the few sacred things. Like you, you really like you know across the country, across partisan cultural divides in general, by and large, it's one thing that we can agree deserves some degree of 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 you know deference. Right. Right. Yeah. And. You know, the ongoing um, crisis in the world that 9-11, it's hard to say, did it unleash? Was it just a, finally it hit home for us here? It's hard It's hard to, to, to know exactly when this clash of cultures, uh, you know, came into existence. And, and But the remarkable cost of it, um, you know, think of the, the cost in lives and um, money and how many families have been broken apart? How many people who survived will never be quite the same? I mean, on on the way over here, I heard a commercial by one of those uh, radio lawyers, uh, particularly marketing towards military families. You know, I understand the unique problems of military families during divorce. And, you know, I mean, he, the guy's almost a cartoon. But what, what we do know, these multiple deployments because of the nature of the way the army is in this country, you know, someone didn't go over there just for one tour of duty. They went over there for three or four and uh, just the cost on families. Uh, and then we talk about uh, really it's into the millions of, of civilian lives that have been killed in Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, and you could say the spillover in part in Syria is a legacy of this too. So just the incredible human cost um, and we're no closer to really solving the, the problems than we were on uh, September 10th so of that of that year. So I, I think it's, you know, that, that all is very problematic in terms of the legacy. The most positive story I read, I think, over the course of, you know, the weekend was Steve Buscemi. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I read he, that. Yeah, the, you know, I mean, kind of almost like a character actor, but, you know, famous most recently for Boardwalk Empire, which is... I was in Atlantic City this week, and I just thought, "Gosh, what a it's such a fascinating show!" That was a great show. And he was a former firefighter in New York City before he kind of made it. And after the after nine eleven, he went back like a couple of days later and just re-upped. I mean, and just helped his fellow firefighters with the cleanup work and the rescue operations. I thought, man, what a lovely thing to know that, like, I mean, just and it's one of these things that. You know, it's not like he was, you know, propagating that. I mean, people were just sort of sharing that. It's people who knew the story that's gotten out. I just want, it's just uh, these kind of moments that make you think there is still some humanity oh, yeah, left. There's, yeah, there's lots in the world of cable news. <laughs> right. Well, you know, something else that struck me I was uh, having dinner uh, with some friends on Saturday night. Uh, two of those people were probably to the right of me politically, and one was. To the left of me, so it was an interesting mixture of political opinions, and um, we were we started talking about the story that uh, was also uh, I forget where I which where I read it, 
about when they they knew that there was still one plane in the air, and it was Flight 93, which you know eventually the you know we believe that the passengers helped bring the plane down, but they figured out it was heading for Washington. They knew that, and they scrambled two fighter pilots. Say I guess it was St. Andrews Air Base, and they weren't they weren't loaded. I mean, these are the airplanes that are there technically to protect the capital, but it takes an hour to weaponize these particular planes. So there was a female pilot. I think she's now a colonel or major. She was there and her commander, and and they went into the air non-weaponized, and their job was to take out the plane in kamikaze style. Now, the plane crashed before they reached it. But to me, that illustrates that even the military, you know, who's to blame? You know, there's this, there's a great blame game. Well, why did this happen? And uh, even now with the ISIS stuff, I've been trying to blame people during the whole election process. But the fact is, Andrews Air Force Base, you know, the Air Force Base is to protect our capital in 2011, prior to 9-11, they were not prepared to defend, to defend you know, defend the capital. They didn't have guns on. They didn't. They weren't. Didn't have missiles or guns or anything armed on these planes. And so that just shows me that the whole country was in a kind of a state of unpreparedness. It it, it wasn't a Republican problem. It wasn't a Democrat problem. It wasn't a military problem. It was the entire system together wasn't ready for what happened that day. And I think that's that should be a lesson to us when we are <laughs> when we're trying to blame the other side for something that we all are called, you know, we all are in solidarity, if you would, responsible for. Yeah. I, I think that that's, yeah, I mean, that's a good insight. And I think that it would serve us well, probably on lots of, on a host of fronts in our culture right now. You know, it feels like we, we're, uh, you know, on issues foreign and domestic, there's a lot facing us as a country. You know, it's interesting. They, on Morning Joe today, they, someone said, I forget who it was, but they said they were talking to a seasoned campaign operative who said he doesn't think he's been, he's worked for an intense political campaign as life where the candidate didn't at some point have walking pneumonia. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a bit absurd where we've gotten, I mean, the kind of taxing schedule again, I, I don't know, uh, how much of Donald Trump is, you know, what's real and what's not. But the man doesn't sleep. He's been nonstop doing what he does. And um, it's no wonder. The stakes are real. I've seen them. (laughs) But, you know, it's no wonder he gets a little wacky. I I mean, I don't know what his base wackiness is, but certainly I think some of the stuff has come just out of sheer exhaustion. And, I mean, these are not young. Neither of them are young people. I mean, I mean, they're not, not saying that they're old. But any person, any of us who carried on a schedule like this for a month would probably get, you know, catch something. And these folks have been doing this for what, 12 months? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you're doing like, you know, 18 hour days and day in, day out. And, and we get, I think part of it, our part of the negativity is just our fatigue from it. We're tired. So it makes us cranky. So we can kind of take it out on the candidates. And trust me, these two candidates give us pretty plenty of reasons to do that. But I just think it's, it, there's so many, so many things about how we are electing president is wrong. I mean, it's just so many parts of it just to me are so counterproductive and I don't know how you change it. And I don't see any, any change in the foreseeable future. I would say a constitutional revision where it was like the bachelor and you had like, I don't know, you had 16 candidates and we picked like the demographic biracial swing voter 
in someplace like suburban Chicago, whatever the thing. And they, and they just basically, the candidates like romance them over an entire season and all the proceeds, you know, went to building hospitals or improving public schools or something. And that's it. And then, you know, that person, it's like, uh, uh, it's like, uh, you know, some sort of like post-apocalyptic gladiatorial. Could do that. You're, you know, like kind of like the hunger games, kind of Achilles and Hector. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of it's it, 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 Achilles and Hector meets The Bachelor. It's post-apocalypse <laughs> production. All right, well, there's there's another we should get. There's another potential grant. Exactly. <laughs> so, Bill and I would like. Okay, so if any of you are listening out there that are involved in any kind of grant, thing, we want a grant to study if if a watch pot boils slower or not, and we want a grant to develop this television idea, which is not. It sounds fanciful at the outset, but it would be cheaper. Yeah, and I think it would save a lot of money. I, I don't know if I've ever told this story uh, before, but uh, when I was a young life area director, for a couple of years, I was a teaching elder in a Mennonite church. And it was this really cool church. It uh, Half of it was traditional Mennonite, and the other half uh, was kind of granola-eating, anti-nuke, you know, uh, live more simply type. And that was part of the attraction. Uh, it was also one of the few churches in my community that wasn't doing the God and country flag, you know, uh, the rise of the religious right. You actually stuff. do have claim to self-identifying as neo-anabaptist. No, I'm not a neo. You're, 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 you're no, retro. I, I was, I was real. I was a, uh, there was no, the no genetic modification of the church I was a part of. Yeah. Any rate. So, uh, I hope I would be great if Fitch was listening. I That's, would be. He's in Pasadena. County. All right. I'd like to dedicate that this next couple minutes to Fitch. But at any rate, um, and the bishop was an awesome guy. I mean, he dressed in the old style, but he had a motorcycle he drove. Uh, just one of the best leaders I've ever been around. Just a great guy. And I've never seen anyone who was able to keep a foot in both worlds. And uh, just, just a great guy. I mean, here's another, those of you who are pastors. He, when he would preach, he'd preach, and then he'd step out of the pulpit and say, are, are there any questions or do you have you know maybe issues with anything I said? And sometimes people would say, I, I didn't like what you said. I mean, it was pretty remarkable. It was really, he was just. What a, a set of, wow. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. But anyway, he and I were talking one time and uh, about how the churches were selecting their pastors. And he goes, uh, in our uh, conference, about half the pastors do it the new way. They they get search committees, and sometimes they talk to consultants. And, you know, they go through search process and put together a church form, and you know, and interview candidates, and you know, take a year or so to do it. And then half our churches get, you know, the elder, you know, the, the men in the church who they feel are oh like, gosh, they, draw they, straws, they, they cast lots. That's yeah, Book and, of Acts, baby. And and he said, he says, my experience is the success rate is about the same. Maybe we should do that. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I mean, at some levels, leadership is a crapshoot. It really is. I mean, our, I think arguably our two greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you would not have guessed going into their terms, they would be the two greatest presidents of all time, in part because they rose to the occasion, their time shaped them, and there were the presenting attributes that made you question uh, their suitability uh, turned out to be not nearly as great as those hidden attributes that, you know, both of them in their own way saved our country. So I, I don't know. Um, and one of their hidden attributes could have been, according to one take on the story, vampire hunting. 
but uh, okay. But anyway, so there could be vampires. I mean, for those of you who may be against violence or gratuitous dating, we could just cast lots for the president. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I want to say, like, one of the interesting low points and high points of the last week for me was Gary Johnson was asked on morning. Oh show my gosh, I saw this live. Aleppo. And what's Aleppo? And he said, well, they said, what would you do about Aleppo? And he said, you know, what's Aleppo? Now, in fairness, my wife and I talked about that. And we followed the refugee crisis. We did not know where Aleppo was. Like, we just don't know Syrian cities. And we followed the stories closely. But we're also not running for president. I mean, I would think, right. uh, you know, that, that I would, you know, lots of us probably might not have known the city, Aleppo. Uh, but yeah, probably a setback if you want to be commander in chief. But the next day, I saw him. And he said, you know what? Uh, you know, I just, at first I thought it was an acronym and I was confused. I really just didn't know. And I followed the Syrian refugee crisis, but in the city and in my experience as a leader, it's just good to tell the truth. And let me tell you the truth. I own it. I didn't know that was, and I thought, man, what a refreshing moment where he just sort of like right. unapologetically said, I don't know. And generally I think it's good when you don't know to say you don't know. No, as opposed to saying you know, just lying. Yeah, you, I just thought, wow. When you're questioned I mean, by Matt Lauer. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just thought, like, it was yeah. a really, it was a really nice, uh, refreshing human moment. And and maybe there's freedom to do that because you're an outsider in the race. Maybe it gets harder to do well, that. Well, I think it's his personality, too. I mean, I think he, I, I mean, you're right, maybe it is harder because everyone, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, I, I do think, I agree with you, that it was great that he admitted that he didn't, you know, he didn't know, and it is unconscionable, unconscionable to know that he, unconscionable. I'm sorry, I can't talk. That he didn't know it, given what he was trying to do. I mean, I, I, again, I think you actually. I, I mean, Aleppo is a city that's, let's see, probably you know at least three thousand years old, uh, and uh, I didn't know. I knew the kid. I knew the picture. I knew all the things, but like for some reason, I just think it's the way we listen to news. Like you, you, there are things that like. It's funny, like I know my high school phone number. I know my mid I know the phone number I had when I was a kid, 609-582-1184. I don't know my wife's phone number. Like right. If so, like I just think certain things like So like now that now again, if you're running for president, you probably it's probably one of those things that you just need to be briefed on. I mean, like you Well, the other thing too, those of uh it is it had a significant Christian population before the Civil War and it's just, I mean, the tragedy is unspeakable. What's happened there? Yeah. So yeah. I, th I think you know, it's uh, so it's just a very interesting time to be alive. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, it's it, this will be. By the way, we should also say on an equally significant note of the five second rule and Crazy Eddie, we've been like we have we've just passed our year anniversary and we didn't even know it. Like, we did not take note of it. I think early August we started doing this. We did. And we are lots of episodes in, over a year in. Our audience has grown a lot. And we been. are really grateful to all of you that tune in. And we look forward to the next year. We do. We're thinking about having a party. We should have a party. It, you know, I re we realize some of our listeners are in places like Texas, Australia, right. Germany. We do have some. Where else do we have listeners from? Uh, Camp Hill. Camp Hill. <laughs> Steve Lipples is 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 a, a feature lipless lipless lip. Did you get the phonetic? I did I did not yet. And for those, we should re remind people who is who is brother who is brother Steve. He is a true American, as you said. 
He's, previous our, podcast, he's, yes. he's our friend and a, a diehard fan yes. and a critic. I mean, in the best I, sense. Although I do think he would like for me to die hard. I don't know. I think, I think so. You're, I, his di- you're like his spirit animal in some weird way. I mean, there's, this, <laughs> there's this, some kind of spiritual connection in like a shaman Native American sense. That's funny. If he was, if he was a werewolf... Like, I mean, you would be his werewolf. Like, you wake up like, oh, what did you do? Oh, gosh, I hung an Obama poster and I did, and I just, I ab- advocated for gun control. Like, it would be like, I woke up and there's this gun control poster in one hand and an Obama in the other. And like, I, you know, so you would be his, you would be his, uh, Mr. Hyde. There we go. There we go. Uh, maybe, maybe in a previous life, <laughs> we were. We were twins. But, you know, we thank you. And yeah, we do thank it you. is like, and we kind of started this on a lark-ish. We did, know? yeah. And we, it's very meaningful that the, uh, the ripple effect of our starting this podcast has influenced lots of people. Yeah. It's, a, you're, it's become really part of your vocation. Yeah. It, I mean, it's been, and, and I mean, the most meaningful thing, and we love mail too. Thank you when you send us messages yeah, and notes. Do. I mean, it's uh, there are countless messages that that we have just both like shared. It, it, it's been blown away that you know you sit here right. in a little bunker here, as we call it. It is a bunker in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and you know we have a good time with it, and we're friends, and it's, it's not like it's arduous work. But then you also wonder, you know, uh, what would what you know impact this has or you know but it's lovely that you've been with us and are staying with us and so we give you a heartfelt uh thank you yeah thank you very much and uh we look forward to the next year together absolutely all right good being with you scott and also with you thank you for being a friend travel down a road and back again your heart is